Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and most people just call me Terry. This chat is with two seasoned stop-motion animators that have worked on all the big stop-motion feature films over the years, including Corpse Bride, Coraline, Box Trolls, and most recently, Wendell and Wilde, of which they both served as animation supervisors, and their names are Jeff Riley and Malcolm Lamont. In our chat, they're going to share how to get into feature stop-motion animation and work your way up to animation supervisors just like them, as well as all the behind-the-scenes of how Wendell and Wilde came together. But first, this episode is sponsored by Hue, the makers of colorful plug-and-play cameras for learning, work, and play. Originally designed for teachers, Hue cameras can also be used for creative activities, such as capturing hand-drawn pencil tests and shooting behind-the-scenes footage, time-lapse videos, and of course, stop-motion animation. Their cameras have flexible, posable necks, manual focus controls, and they are compatible with Dragon Frame, OBS, Twitch, Zoom, and many other camera apps. Visit HughHD.com to learn more and follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun, and giveaways. And get 10% off any Hue product from HughHD.com with the code 10TerryAIP, and the details of that are in the description of this podcast, so please check that out. And now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hey, Jeff and uh, Malcolm. How, how are you guys doing? Thanks for joining me tonight. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat everything Wendell and Wild, which just came out, and I have only watched half of it because I just got back from a trip and haven't had time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to finish it up right after our chat, but uh, I'm excited to pick your brains about, you know, animating on that. But Malcolm, first, uh, you, you told me just a few minutes ago that you were on the Titanic. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, I was the iceberg. You're either um, 150 years old or you're yeah. involved in the movie. Yeah, I did. I when I the year I left college, I was you know like wanting to be a stop motion animator. I'd made a film, and you know like trying to break into the industry was difficult as usual. I sent out out like 50 VHS cassettes to like as many studios I knew and no one got back to me maybe one or two did but like eventually I knew someone who worked in like a model making workshop in London um and my dad I think it was my dad knew them actually and I managed to get a job there just for the summer um I was just like sanding props you know and it turned out they were making this film called Titanic which I'd never heard of and you know I didn't realize even that James Cameron was directing it or anything like that so I literally spent the summer just like sanding like um if you watch the film which I know everyone has uh like any kind of candelabra or like ornate kind of like um radiator cover things like that in the background like I touched every single one of those wasn't your hand weren't you the stunt hand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah the sweaty hand inside the car yeah. that was mine yeah you oh can tell you ever watch the titanic and see like something you didn't sand and you're just like oh that scene just mm. bugs me there was one there right is. On my very, no <laughs> it was right my very last day they finally let me use like the belt sander thing and we were packing all of the props into this box and it was like literally the last one to go in and I was sanding it and the guy was like saying, you know, just be really careful. You have to kind of go against the belt or something like that. Otherwise it's like whips it out of your mm. hand and no one was watching. And I was like sanding this thing. And then I sort of like glanced away and I looked back and it had just gone. It like flipped out my hand. <laughs> it flipped out my hand. It just like shattered into a thousand pieces. And uh, the guy was just like, just don't tell anyone. And it was just like, shut the box. And I, I always imagine James Cameron, literally the man himself, opening the box in LA and being like outraged. There was only 999 candelabras rather than one thousand. Oh my gosh. Well, they had to, they had to, there's one scene with a candelabra missing and it's uh, because of yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Think of how much money that movie would have made if you hadn't screwed up. <laughs> Probably at least double. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's probably some like Titanic film critic that's somehow going to stumble across this story and going to be amazed at this. That's hilarious. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to take uh, away from Jeff, but maybe uh, just how did you go from sanding Titanic props to stop motion? What was the bridge for you? Well, I mean, I I just got out of animation school, so I, I had made a short film. And like I said, I, I sent my my film out to... You know, like as many in I was I grew up in England, so you know, there's there's a there was a decent amount of stop motion at that time, like the BBC yeah. and 
children's TV was, you know, still producing loads of stop motion. Um, I sent it to like, you know, Artman and Cosgrove Hall. I think I got a, I got an interview at Cosgrove Hall um, when they were made around the time they were doing like Postman Pat, things like that. Um, what else? Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I didn't even know what like an interview was for a stop motion studio. So like I took my box of like puppets and my sketchbooks and I like my, my dad drove me to Manchester, which was like a three hour, two hour, three hour drive, something like that. And I thought I was just going to go in, speak to them, show them my drawings and my toys. And then like they would give me a job. Um, and I walked in the door and they immediately like shepherded me to like a test unit and said, OK, you're going to be here all day animating we're gonna judge your animation and i was just like wait what and so i had to like sneak out my dad is waiting in the parking lot in his car and i'd sneak out and i'd say i'm really sorry but like you're gonna be here a while i didn't realize so i had to so i just had to animate like all day my dad just like sat in the car for like eight hours while i and i was so like um embarrassed for my dad like i just animated as fast as i could just to get it done so he could drive home again i did like i don't know like a 500 frames in like one day, you know, it was just is like, is that why you got the job? <laughs> well, like, I didn't hey, get the guy, job. Yeah. I don't know about the animation, but this guy is fast. Yeah. I just, so anyway, so I did that and eventually, um, Wait, so you didn't get this job after all. I, I didn't get the oh, job. No. Like, Cause I remember like it was Barry Purvis who was um, interviewing me. And when he saw how many frames are done, his like eyes lit up. But I think I could see he was thinking, hmm, something isn't right here. How did this guy do 500 frames in one day? expecting like 10 frames. Yeah, you know, so whatever. I didn't get that job. Um, I eventually, through a friend, heard of a really small animation studio in London that were doing um, a kids' TV show. And he was a, he'd applied for it, but he was a 2D animator. So I was like, well, through that, I'm a 3D animator. I want to do it. So I, I, um, I called them up and I sent them my film. Um, it was a really small place. It was like two directors, one lighting guy and an editor. And that was it in like a, you know, like the size of my basement kind of studio. And um, I called them like every week uh, for about 10 weeks nonstop because I knew they had this job and they didn't say no. So I, and they just said, stay in touch. And I didn't quite know what that meant. So I, I think I, you know, sometimes I'd ring them like twice a week and say, have you made up your mind yet? Have you made up your mind yet? And, and eventually they gave me the job. Um, and they told me when I, when I arrived, there's like, we only gave the job just to shut you up. Like they, we just needed you to stop calling us. And I was like, well, that, that was amazing. So, you, you know, that's right. You know, um, like and it was a great guy. <laughs> I, it was an incredible job. I tried it again in another studio after that and it didn't work. Uh, I don't recommend that technique because I think it generally does piss everyone off. Um, this other student literally just eventually, maybe week three, they said, like, just stop calling us. We're never going to give you a job. So uh, that was the one time it worked. Wow. So, yeah. So that was kind of like, long story short, kind of like my first job in stop motion was just like an assistant animator on um, is a straight to VHS TV show called PB Bear and Friends. And it was like life-size not like you know like real scale teddy bears that they'd retrofitted like armatures into um and it was it was kind of like uh i think it was based off of some kids books that were you know like the, the bear comes to life kind of thing but yeah i've just looked up i've actually seen it i think it somehow made its way to canada when i was a kid <laughs> oh nice there you go <laughs> yeah. Jeff, how about how about you you know like both of you are big wig animation supervisors now how did things start uh where are your humble beginnings from well i um animated on titanic and yeah. uh, <laughs> here we are <laughs> I, I was uh, interested in stop motion and I was taking, uh, I was going to the Academy of Art and taking some computer animation classes. So back then there wasn't really stop motion classes. So in my spare time though, I would just shoot on the floor of my apartment and collect trash all through San Francisco and bring it home and make things out of it. And eventually I heard about, um, a show called Life with Loopy that was looking for an intern and uh, kind of just similar to Malcolm. I had gotten a couple other interviews and shown up with a backpack full of puppets I've made and a VHS tape of the various animations I'd done and 
a couple tried a couple times it didn't work out and then eventually this one i got the internship and um shortly after that i you know i did a, the internship for a year and i went back the next season when they were doing the show as like in the puppet department but not in animation and then eventually I heard about uh, in Portland, they had just gotten two TV shows at once. One was the PJs and the other was Gary and Mike. So it was a really fortuitous time. And I sent up my stuff and got an interview similar to Malcolm. I had to do a test. And then the first day went really well, the test. And then the second day I had to do a walk and I was in the middle of it. And I really felt like I was failing. And then someone had just seen my tape from the first day and in the middle of that test, luckily before I could uh, fail, they called me in and gave me a job. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. How competitive, like it sounds like both of you had to really persevere to, to get your first roles in stop motion. How competitive was it back when you were first applying? I think it was almost, for me, it was more, there was barely anything happening. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of open positions until the the Will Vinton Studios really got a bunch of stuff going at once. Right, but when you when you interviewed, were you kind of the only interview? Oh uh, no, that's not no there. There was other people there, I think, testing, and they, I'm trying to remember. I think I think they likely hired everybody. They, you know, it's a big deal to suddenly need to fill two shows up. So. Yeah, like I said, it was a really lucky time here for me. But you know, there was yeah, there's definitely was competition and for not many jobs usually. Um, do you feel like it's kind of the same situation nowadays? Because I feel like there's so many people trying to get into stop motion right now. I think in Portland it is now definitely yeah. like you know like <laughs> the last few years it's just exploded and. You know, like I hear so many, you know, like college graduates just moving here just in the hope that they'll get a job, you know. And in the last few years, it's been really busy. We've had three, you know, two or three beach films at the same time, yeah. a couple of TV shows, and it was always going <laughs> to change at some point. So it kind of comes and goes. Like stop motion is, is like, you know, um, it's either drought, it was it famine and Feast, Feast that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Have you, so, have you both always been able to have steady work in stop motion throughout your careers, or do you? No, no. As well? no. I definitely had. Um, well, I, I went to school with a bunch of friends that went into computer animation, and they've they've all done really well. But I remember there was a year, so after the PJs and um, the shows a little bit of time I went to CG, but there was kind of like 9-11 happened. And then it just like, it started this thing where it just killed like all advertising and all TV shows and any risky show. And it was dead. And I think there was one year I made like 2000 or $3,000 and was, you know, living on top ramen and um, definitely a little worried. Meanwhile, my friends, I would like go visit my friends and they were like buying new fancy cars and, I was questioning my choices a little bit, but um, you're asking for rides to the ramen shop. Yeah. How do you how do you stay in stop motion and animation when you go through a whole year of making two thousand dollars, which is nothing? Like, why not? Why not say, okay, like, I don't I don't know what the future is going to hold. Uh, maybe it's time to pick up another skill or go to a different industry because, like, you know, I'm fresh in my career and this is already happening. I mean, I wish <laughs> I wish I had good another skill. <laughs> yeah, someone should have told me this 25 years ago. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I actually, the, that first job I told you about was only a 10-week job. And it, I moved like to London based off of like a job that was 10 weeks long. And I thought, this is it. I've made it in the industry. And, and then it finished. And I was just like, oh, what do I do now? And actually, I managed to get a job um, as a video game tester in a video game company. And I did that for like, another 18 months oh, wow. and until that same studio got like another TV show. And then I, they hired me back. And um, like Jeff said, after that one, same in nine 11 hit and it's the same in London, like everything dried up. And I, 
I went back to college and did my MA because I could, there was just going to be no work for um, a few years. So, okay. So you're, you're full-time testing at this video game company and then Mm -hmm. the studio that's like, Hey, we, we only hired you for 10 weeks last time calls you up and you just drop everything, quit your job. Yeah. 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 I actually was, <laughs> the, the video game company was like trying to promote me, like, and I kept turning them down. They want you to own this company, <laughs> right? I mean, and and like, I don't know. <laughs> Looking back, seeing how much money you can make in video games now, I don't know. But yeah, I I literally, you know, like told them, uh, you know, like I really want to do stop motion. This is like my dream job. I'm yeah. gonna leave, and they were just like, oh, okay. And again, that job was for another year, and then it finished, and you know i mean kind of the confidence the internal confidence to say this is this is my path and i'm gonna do it and disregard life decisions i mean i guess like when i am working as a stop motion animator it's as hard as it is and stressful as it is it's fun you know like there isn't a i see like other jobs and i've done other jobs and you know like i kind of want to kill myself when i'm doing them so um and and it doesn't feel like a real job when you're doing yeah. animation, yeah. and it's very rare that you have that as a career. And I guess for me, you know, like I've moved around the world several times just following jobs. So it wasn't until I moved to Portland um, for Coraline and then actually Paranorman um, that I had any kind of stability for any decent amount of time. You know, it's, it doesn't normally happen in in stop motion. Yeah. Um, you said you got a master's in animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, that's something that's I've thought about before, but what is the benefit of doing a master's of animation versus uh, self-studying or just working in animation? Honestly, um, I would say, and the college probably don't want me to say this, but <laughs> <Yeah>. I, I, <laughs> Careful. Um, I, I literally did it because I wanted to make another short film. And at that point, there just wasn't funding. You know, like it, wow. it was right after 9-11, there was no money anywhere. And I knew if I went in, I went to the Royal College of Art and their films got a lot of, um, uh, you know, like attention when they're released. So mm. I knew that if I go and spend a couple of years, I can make a nice film, you know, and by then hopefully the industry picked up or at the very least, um, you know, like I'll have made a film from the Royal College of Art and people might actually, you know, like answer the phone when I call them. Did it did it pan out for you? It kind of did. Um, I left there and I got onto Corpse Bride that summer. So, you know. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> hey, great. I so, think okay. I could, I, oh. what I would say though is that for people that are looking to get into it, you can go that route to school. And then there's a lot of people that don't go to school and they just do it. And there is benefit to doing a film and you can go to school. I think it, in America, it might be harder to just go to a school though and do a film. I'm not sure that mm. it works quite like that, but there's well, a lot I mean, of different routes to get into the. Yeah. You know, like the school in England didn't cost a hundred thousand dollars. That's what either, I'm getting so at. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the schools here, the people that they're like $60,000. I think yeah. that is, if you're going to be doing stop motion, you should really think twice before you spend sixty. You imagine spending sixty thousand dollars on stop motion equipment for one year. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like, do you, I mean, like yeah. rent your own studio space. That would be a smarter way to do it. Yeah, um, and then I you guess, can just keep making films. Or... I guess the one thing you don't get with school is the mentorship and connections and like trying out different areas of animation. But if you feel, I always think like if you know what you want to do then just do it. Like, you know, if you need to hire a mentor, then hire a mentor. If you know you're doing stop motion, then buy the equipment, rent a space, turn your bedroom into a studio. Like, I agree. I mean, I think especially now, you know, like the equipment's so much more available okay. and less expensive. You know, like I, I honestly would say if someone was looking to get into animation, like self, self-teach, self you know, like, yeah. and just start producing stuff in your basement or your yeah. bedroom. I so, think it's also easy to reach out to people yeah like when i was in college we used to look at names in the end of movies and go to the phone book and try to call them and a few people we did talk to um i mean i still look them up on instagram yeah now but people are really you know interested in putting the showing how they made stuff now and it's really easy to get in touch with the artists 
Totally, yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, both of you are in Portland and you've worked on every feature feature film in Portland, basically. But, you know, I want to talk about when in a while, but maybe just first, uh, at what point did your skill level reach feature quality that you were hired, you know, because going from like TV to feature or amateur to feature, there's, uh, there's a big jump regardless. So like, you know, how did you ensure that you had the skills that uh, a feature like Coraline or Paranorman or Wendell and Wild was looking for to say, yeah, I want to hire Jeff and Malcolm. We need them on our team. I mean, when I was hired on Corpse Pride, I just had TV work. And, and I guess because it was in London, um, it was a lot of people's first films. They had some of Henry, you know, you know, like the old Nightmare kind of crew there, but like it was a lot of green animators. And I came on as an assistant, so I... I didn't have to have my, you know, I didn't need to be quite at the level just to come in and shoot. I was just there to kind of do tests and, you know, um, blocks and, you know, help out. And um, it was a good route in because, you know, like I could show my work to the director without it having to be perfect and be ready to be on screen. And luckily for me, he saw, um, something in the tests that he liked, you know, and, and, and had the confidence to give me a try on some more like background shots. So I kind of gradually, well, actually pretty quickly kind of built up to doing like a whole sequence. Um, one of, I mean, I joke earlier about shooting 500 frames in one day, but I, one of my skills is like, you know, I've been one of the quicker animators on most of the productions I've been on. And that's definitely helped me um, production department love people who shoot frames fast you know so like, I the uh, whole film for you guys <laughs> like, great so I kind of like I was shooting pretty fast and he liked my work um and they just kind of like kept giving me more and more shots and before I knew it you know like I kind of had a decent amount to put on a reel and yeah. um I I guess I didn't know is the answer like I don't know how you you know like you get to that level you just do something that the director sees and you know like gives you a gives you a chance on i think i think now that there's been a lot more films um produced over the like the last 10 or 15 years people can see this the level that they that they're expected to be at you know um people learning can kind of like use that as their kind of like target whereas on corpse pride everyone was just like i have no idea like we're just gonna shoot the best we've ever done and hope it's good enough yeah but uh, you know uh, for Henry to see what you're doing in your tests and blocking and stuff, and then to give you some background shots. I'm just wondering, you know, you said you weren't really sure what, what the difference was, but like, what is going through your mind while you're animating? Were you like, I want to do this as quick as possible. I want to have the smoothest motion. Uh, I'm super involved in the character and what's going on. And I'm like, I'm acting through them. Like, you know, what is, what is going through your mind that maybe gives you that extra, touch with your animation that that does get noticed that you might not be specifically aiming to do I guess other than make 5,000 frames in a day um but just quickly it was um it's Mike Johnson actually directed oh, uh, Corpse Bride yeah Henry, getting, Henry didn't do that one, but, my yeah 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 um but I don't um it certainly wasn't it was certainly I wasn't really aware I was just kind of like this is it was like blind panic and just definitely like looking at everyone else's work you know every day we'd be in dailies and you just see the shots that were incredible and you'd just be using that as your guide you know like i i need to be as good as that and um i i guess it was you know like coming from tv where you shot well the first tv show i worked on we were shooting 20 seconds a day each so going from that to like being expected to shoot maybe two seconds a day it was, you know, like you knew where to put the attention. So you just, even though I was shooting relatively quickly, it was still nowhere as quick as on a TV show. And I, I had the time to kind of like make it as beautiful as I always wanted to, you know, with, within reason. So just yeah. the time alone allowed you that chance to kind of like push yourself to, you know, like it, you're never happy with your work, but like at least on a film, you get it a little closer to being happy to your, right, your work. Right, you know? Yeah, you're never happy with your work, but on a film, you can get closer. I feel, I definitely feel that. Yeah, Jeff, what do you what do you think about you know thinking from your own experience? Well, for me, um, I think what really helped was the combination of after working on some TV shows, I got in at a 
company that was doing commercials and just the variety of different ways I needed to animate. I think, I, I do think it's hard to go from TV to um, the features because when you're looking to hire people, a lot of the TV stuff just, it's hard to really um, look different than other people because you're, you're all rushed and you're, um, I don't know. So I, I think it was an advantage of just getting to do different styles quickly. And um, I also was working on a short film. So I think that's what helped me stand out from other people and get hired. My, my first stop motion feature was Coraline. And, but even that, like once I got there, I mean, it was really an intimidating film to start on with like my, you know, there's heroes, everywhere on that film and I definitely and the most simple shot I've ever done in my career that was like my first shot I had like a panic attack in the middle of it I was there like all night um trying to because I was like they, you know they were they were just like hey we got a shot can you do it tonight and it was like I hadn't really gotten an opportunity to just do a shot and I was like of course and it was just a finger touching a keyhole and so I was like, yeah, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I could do this in a couple hours. And, I was, and then, you know, fast forward to the, it's the middle of the night. I've restarted it like five times. It's so tiny. That hand was like so small and I just couldn't move it small enough. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. I'm going to get fired. And ended up like, in the bathroom, splashing water in my face. And then in walked this veteran from Nightmare. And I turned to him and I was like, I don't think I can do this. And he, And then I just noticed he didn't look so good. And he's like, I don't know if I can do it either. And I was like, oh my God, he's struggling too. And it kind of gave me a little bit of confidence to get back out there and try. But I guess um, it's hard because, you know, there's really good, people are doing really good work and you have to, you just have to go in and give it your best. Yeah, I mean, it do it doesn't get any easier. Like even after no. like you know ten films, you still look at each other's work and be like, "Damn, I need to like step it up." Like it just it yeah. never stops. Man, that's crazy that you, you know a veteran coming in and saying, "I'm having a tough time," gave you the confidence to know that, or or at least relatability to know that, you know, <laughs> if you can't do it, then this is normal. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think on the movies, there's also like I always have the sense of like this is a movie. Like I'm going to give it everything I have. And I got to um, really, I think putting in the thought process is what separates people just thinking it through to get to, because eventually everyone that does have the skills to like move things around, but it's like to really make something special, you got to think about, think hard about that shot and really get the most entertaining and yeah. something that's going to, it's going to be up there. People are going to see this for hopefully years and years and, it's worth putting that effort in. So you got to just yeah. dig deep. Well, I mean, that, hard yeah. and... the amount of shots I've done where I've kind of like, you know, like something didn't go right. And I've been like, all right, whatever. I just need to keep going. But it's, it's, it's up there forever. You know, like, and I, and you kick yourself every single time. Like no one, no one remembers that shot you did really quickly, you know, like, because they asked you to, like they'll remember the incredible shots that, you know, stand out. Yeah. That was a, that was a big thing that I had to learn when working on a TV show too. And, you know, the AD is coming in and saying, you know, are you done the shot yet? Like you have till today. And you, I rushed a couple of shots. And then afterwards, like, I can't even watch those scenes. And mm -hmm. I was well, one of my be animators and she was just like, you can't rush. You just have to push back and do your best work no matter what. So I was, I was just going to say the same thing. Like Malcolm is an exception to like this. <laughs> there's definitely people that can go really fast and do really good work. And that's like, that's a real gem if you can find that, but it's a humongous mistake to only listen to one side of that. And the people I, you know, I've seen a lot of times people trying to please production and they'll like, ah, they want the shot and they give it to them. Mm. And then they aren't going to come back. The mm -hmm. director ultimately, you know, there's a certain point where you can go too slow. And that is another problem, but the director doesn't ultimately care. Yeah. And they won't, they right. won't be like, Oh, great. You please so-and-so from production that's going to be a problem and that's a it's hard to stand up to that pressure so so I mean, why is production coming in and hounding you then if it's well because there is a reality money. It's yeah like it, it's a tough spot to be in 
So how do you make the call yourself to say, you know, I'm not going to listen to production. I'm going to take the director route or, you know, I have to listen to production in this. I think there's a balance, you know, like, and that's probably the people who have been in the industry longest have worked that out. You know, it's kind of, you can noodle with a frame forever and, you know, like it might only be 5% better than if you'd taken that frame an hour earlier, you know, it's kind of just learning that kind of point where, well, firstly, like learning where you think you need to focus your efforts, you know, like a certain amount of like, um, within your shot, like knowing where the audience is looking um, or at least guiding the audience to where to look. And then maybe you can let certain things kind of like, you know, like fall off a tiny bit. Um, I, I don't know whether this rule holds up, Jeff, but we talked about this before. There's like, there's three things we think you have to be <laughs> to be like a yeah. successful feature film animator. It's like, you either have to be really fast, uh, really, really good, or really easy to work with. And if you have two of any, any two of those three things, I think you can do it. So like, you can be really easy to work with and really, you know, like, no way, <laughs> really, yeah. really, yeah. really fast, really yeah. easy to work with, you know, um, you can be, you can be really slow, but if you're really easy to work with and your shots are really great, you know, that's fine. It's always one of those things you can, kind of like take out the equation but i don't know i'm not willing to risk uh, you know, testing i've, I've heard theory. this I've, heard, I've actually heard this these three things before quite a few times so mm. it, it does make sense i, I just I wonder if you're fast and you're amazing but you're really hard to work with you get black right. eventually <laughs> right i think yes. there's a point yeah. though what happens is you say to yourself well this person's just not worth the pain they're going to be mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so you you got to be polite and nice to people that's a super important learning to work with people is is really important it goes a long mm -hmm. way so what are you know on a stop motion set you're in a dark room by yourself for 99.999 percent of the time you're working what are some of those things that you need to be better at collecting? i think it's not well, that's yeah not I, quite I, right i'd say it's like 25 percent. okay because you got go with uh, now you got lighting you got up up to 50 percent. Mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. yeah you gotta um what's a real team job and I'm, maybe maybe on the feature side compared to tv there maybe it is a little more there's like people every everyone's got to get in and do their work and um everyone has to work together and there's a lot of different ways to interacting with the crew and either you know as an animator you can be taking up more or less resources you can be taking up more or less of other people's time. There's a lot of factors about working together and just like how you interact with the puppet department, the set department, mm -hmm. production. Um, it does, it's not nothing. It's a, it's but, a skill that's not, you might I mean, not think when, about it, but it's important. When I was working on Ultra City Smiths, we didn't have a very large puppet hospital team. And our, our puppets were, uh, you know, I, I break a hand, uh, I, an eyelid like breaks, whatever. And I found that I was actually competing with other animators for the puppet hospital. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a little nicer, maybe they come to me faster or whatnot. So I that, think that it's just, I mean, I mean, it's polite. True. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, as, as much as, you know, like, I don't like to say the animators are like out of the, the, the main focus of the production. It is the, the animation is the performance, you know, so you, every, all the other departments are there to kind of like, provide support for the shot yeah. and um you know like if you want them to help you and you want to get going on your shot quicker or you want like some of the equipment better equipment or you need some more a little more take some more resources like jeff said it's all about being you know like easy to work with they're polite you know just like make everyone feel like you're all on the same team and they'll want to help you and ultimately it will serve you and the production well you know um yeah, if you're like rude, if you're rude, yeah, but, no one wants to help you. It's pretty easy. Well, you know, there's also a lot of departments will each have their own agenda and what's most important to them. And often that will be in conflict. You know, being able to negotiate, oh, well, you need this here, but I can't do my shot with that. You know, you have to be able to politely negotiate with different people, either with time or what they're trying to do to the shot. So I think there's quite a bit of interaction that as an animator that happens. And some people I've, you know, I've seen it can be, they'll just say, look, go do this. And you're, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, 
other people have their job too and you have to you have to work to a solution that works for everybody so you don't see it that often but there is it is not nothing to you know and, and work well with people and it does unfortunately like you know the animation does get probably celebrated more than maybe some of the other departments at least superficially and that can feed people's egos you know and it's before you know it you've got people believing that they're the stars in a studio and you know like people don't always behave yeah. as nicely as they should i i think yeah. there's another thing just going back a little bit as you were saying like you know getting along with production is also really important and mm -hmm. if you're late on a shot i think like just being really open with your production team because they're they have so much they're doing and they need they need accurate information from you. And I, what I've found is times if I fall behind on something, just tell them and be like, look, I'm going to work my butt off though to try to get this either on time or I'll do extra. And that's, if you're behind, that's one thing you can do instead of just like turning in a sloppy shot, I think is being like, look, this is what I need trying to be accurate because there's always like someone else needs the puppet. The set needs to turn around. There's so many people waiting. You have to, um, it's so hard to, to, to schedule these so just being open and um polite about those conversations goes mm -hmm. a long way almost like being proactive about how things are going to go is exactly yeah time and effort um uh, let's let's uh talk a little bit about how you became animation supervisors on wendell and wild so you know you were both animators and then at what point were you approached or were you applying to become a supervisor instead of just uh you know an animator on, on um on this movie. <laughs> well, I, I guess yeah. for me, uh, it was something I was always interested in. Like I've really, um, I'm, a lot of the features I've been on, I have been someone that people have come to like, oh, I'm stuck on a shot or, and I, I and also I really enjoy, like sometimes I'm stuck. I, I like that interaction of talking over shots and working through and thinking through problems. And so it was something I was like, oh, I'd always wanted to try. And um, so for me, when I heard, you know, there was two movies that were going to be in Portland where there was going to be an opening, I was like, I need to, I need to try to get on one of these. So um, yeah, for me, I kind of was like, it was a slow process and eventually kind of what sparked me is I heard that someone had already been hired on Pinocchio before I'd even like spoken to anyone. I was like, Oh, like, shoot, I have to go. I, no one's just going to give this to me. So I, when that happened, I was like immediately reached out to Henry and just said, Hey, I want to, you know, be considered for that job if I could and like talk to you about it. So kind of realizing I had to go, go seek it was uh what kind of sparked some conversations huh. and you had his contact information just from working on films with him well yeah so i i had sporadically been in touch with him we um from Coraline, you know it was great working with henry starting back then that was just a wonderful experience and just would email once in a while or if i ever saw him um yeah wherever we you know chat and hang out and so yeah, it was just something, you know, okay. when I heard it was happening, I was like, oh, yeah, I really want to make this happen. Yeah, similar story for you, Malcolm? Pretty much. Um, I I guess, you know, like I've been at Leica for a long time, and both Jeff and I at different points have been like lead animators there. Um, and, you know, like we've been around a long time and had – I had the same as Jeff had the desire to try and, you know, like what, what was going to be my, you know, next thing, you know, like I'm not saying I kind of done everything I needed to do in, in, as an animator, but like, I was definitely interested in, you know, like, like Jeff said, I was part of the Leica internship. I was the, often one of the mentors there. And, you know, like we were definitely seen as people who like the younger animators would come to. Um, I was really, you know, excited about like um, being involved on in certain parts of um, the films beyond just, you know, being in your unit. I towards, you know, um, Kubo and Missing Link, 
I would often, you know, like be involved in edit if ever the animation supervisor wasn't there, you know, like I'd often be the person to be, you know, like called in to, you know, cover basically, or, you know, like be, be a part of like a little more of the kind of like R and D stages of the film, which I found fascinating and I love doing. Um, and, you know, um, when I, same as Jeff, when I heard, you know, like Henry was doing a film, I, I didn't immediately jump to it because working at Leica is, you know, like a, it's a stable place to be and they do incredible work. So it wasn't um, an easy decision in any way to, you know, like step away from that. But, um, but I, you know, like I, I was fascinated by what Henry was doing and same as Jeff, I had like incredible time on Coraline and he's such a passionate director, you know, he's, he's, you know, everyone should work with him once. It's always a ride. So, um, you know, like I was, I was interested, but I wasn't sure, um, uh, I spoke to him and um, the producer at the time, and they showed me the test that they'd shot for um, Netflix down in LA. They'd just done like a little two minute intro, which is actually in the final movie now. Um, and it was like, I remember sitting down and I was just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know what I'm going to see. I'd heard stuff about it. I heard it was crazy and kind of like really different. And I was like, I don't know what I'm about to see, but whatever I see, just say you like it. Just, just try and like, you know, take it all in. And so I watched it and it just blew my mind. It was like nothing I'd seen for a long time, you know, um, it, good and bad. It was, you know, I, I took me, a, it took me a while for my brain just to process what I'd seen. It was like all these crazy colors and like this weird, like two dimensional faces and, you know, like all sorts of stuff going on. There was slime. There was like weird kind of like demons and, I was like, well, I, I have no idea what's going on there. And I spoke to them a little bit and I still hadn't really made up any real, my mind about anything. I was just curious to see what they were doing. And then they mentioned that they uh, had hired Anthony Scott. And I was like, oh, and I was, I just assumed he was going to be the supervisor. He was the supervisor on Corpse Bride and on Coraline. So it was a given that he was going to do that. And I was like, oh, and I was kind of bummed. And I was like, all right, well, okay. Uh, and they were like, no, no, he just wants to animate on this one. Like, we're still looking for the supervisor. And I was like, oh. And I was like, well, maybe. And I was thinking about it. And then they said, um, here's the thing. We might we might be hiring, like, multiple supervisors on this film. And, I, and then I was suddenly like, oh. <laughs> like, who, if I do this, like, I, I don't know who I'm going to get saddled with. Like, working, you know, like, as a having a essentially like a co-director or a co-supervisor is a big deal is you have to know you're going to work with this person. Um, I think I knew Jeff had seen the test at least. And so I kind of came home and I was thinking about it and I texted him and I just like, I just wrote like, I saw the test and nothing else. I just left it. At that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like completely out of context. And then he was like, what do you mean? And we gradually worked out, you know, that we'd both been sort of talking to them okay. and that they want to use two supervisors and we were both kind of like well uh, you know like yeah. if you do it you know like it would be amazing to you know we've been friends for years so we it was like the one person i think i could you know definitely trust and respect and work with was jeff and that definitely tilted it in its favor for me it was like this could be incredible you know like this might yeah. be just like such a fun thing to do so um you know still i kind of took a little while to kind of think about it it, it didn't certainly wasn't you know, it was, it, was a, it was definitely a risk, you know. Um, it's a big thing to, lo to yeah. leave the that, you know, like it's the only consistent place. So to put yourself back yeah. into that, that where's the next job or how long will this last? It's definitely mm -hmm. not nothing. And, and, but yeah, it was this opportunity. I think how often are there going to be three stop motion movies happening at once where I'm living? It's, it was just, impossible to to mm -hmm. not do it oh uh, yeah amazing so um how did you end up splitting up the duties like my best guess is somebody animation directed like kind of the real world and somebody animation directed like the underworld is that kind of how it worked or kind of no i mean we started out like when we were right at the beginning just both of us were kind of like working together constantly um but once we started launching the first sequence we pretty quickly knew we didn't want to be directing we didn't want to be giving like cross direction to any animators. So, you know, I've worked on films where there's been two directors and 
suddenly you're getting like two different ideas or you're trying to please one or the other. It, it never works. So we knew that we wanted to split them up. It wasn't, well, we had some system, didn't we, Jeff? Like we kind of like went through, we, we each picked the ones we really wanted to do for a start, you know, like just w- which were exciting to us for whichever reason. We tried to kind of label them like A, B and C sequences. And there was some half-assed kind of like kind of system to it where like how many characters were in it? How many, you know, how many shots were in it? Was it like, you know, technically complicated was it one of the big emotional sequences and we tried to kind of like spread them out a little bit between us um every now and then it would get a little out of whack and i could see like oh i haven't seen jeff for like a week he's been (laughs) running around like crazy person he must be a little busier than me right now so we would try and like readjust the balance but i don't know it was it, it was mostly just like I really love that sequence. I want to be a part of it. Okay, you do that one. I'll do this one. We just tried to like keep the work, you know, um, workload balanced. How much animation yeah. did you actually do yourselves in the in the film? Did some, you know, a little. It was more than I thought when I watched it. Maybe twenty shots or so. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that might have been one of the things that Henry and. Um, Sarah Serrata, who was uh, originally in, as the producer, um, I think their idea might have been get me and Jeff, and what we could do is one of them will supervise for a month, the other one will animate for a month, and then we'd switch. Wow. But we soon realized like the film was so oh, big, man. and to try and like be able to download everything you learn in the last month into like someone else's brain and then just like tag off, you know, it was never going to work. So we tried to like you know split them up equally, and then. We, yeah, I, I think the same. I maybe did like a dozen shots, maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was always like, other than a couple of really nice shots, it was mostly like, oh my God, you know, like we're not going to be quoted this week. Can you shoot this shot like in like this evening or I'll come in on Saturday and just shoot it for us because we desperately need to make quote and you're the only person that is like you know, fast enough or can do it you know and like, all right all right I'll come and do this one and so um, what is how many animators were on this film like what does your day-to-day look like I'm just picturing you how you described it just running frantically from room to room it was yeah, that. yeah it really it was, was that yeah most we- days like you didn't get time to pee it was really yeah. oh no crazy. wow yeah, oh, my goodness. yeah. I, I think one thing that was um it just was like the perfect fit definitely for this film i think it's a good system i, I would i i think it would work you know uh, in other films too but we had a lot of young animators that needed probably a little more than what we were used to at least at, when we were at like a of our time and we really could go in depth um but complications with covid kept henry from being able to go to the the stages as much as he probably would have wanted so for a lot of reasons we had a we it, it was just a good fit that we could split it it would have been impossible for mm-hmm. for one person to do it because like malcolm said it was just constant going from one place to another and then being in a meeting and coming out and having a list of like 15 places people to go see um so but I think it was a really one thing that I was actually I thought it would go well, but I was really surprised at how in sync we were. Mm-hmm. Like anytime, you know, there was definitely times where, you know, you might have to make a big decision. Like, oh my god, this! I know we're desperate. There, we had some high pressure situations that our animators were incredible. Like, you know, we gained some extra space in the middle of our project that we could not have finished the movie without getting, but we had to give it back, and we had all these complicated like the most possible like complicated uh sequences possible all were in this extra space we got and there was just some desperate times and there was a few times we had to do a cutback that i knew would be like it was such a big deal to do it but just to be like anytime i would show on a something like that malcolm i could just say hey look at this and i wouldn't say anything and he'd be like yeah frame 42 and i'd be like yeah frame 42 you know there was like a real um I think we had, you know, maybe it's just because we were on a lot of the same movies and growing, you know, like a really, you know, I, you know, we we grew a lot there, and I think it just is like we have a similar aesthetic and and eye. Yeah, I think it trained us to kind of like know what was, you know, right yeah. and wrong about a shot and things we both appreciated. 
you know, we chatted a lot about being a team player and, and like being nice and stuff. And when you when you come on a shot and an animator has just spent, you know, eight hours or something doing what the, their best work and you say, you know, we have to we have to go back to frame 42. How do you kind of manage that experience for that animator? <laughs> it's tough. I, I don't think we did it. I mean, Wendell and Wild was, you know, like it wasn't as luxurious as a Leica feature. You know, we didn't have as much time. We didn't have as yeah. much space. We didn't have as much money. So, I mean, even Henry would say it was kind of like we stylistically we were looking at, or at least production-wise, it was somewhere between a TV show and, you know, like a like a film. Probably closer to the film, I must admit. But we couldn't always afford to go back, you know. And part of the aesthetic was you know, those mistakes, you know, like that's part of the charm. So we didn't have to be quite so um, picky, you know, like uh, about things that perhaps we were at Leica. So we didn't have to do as many cutbacks. I don't think we did barely any reshoots, maybe maybe half a dozen, I don't know. Um, so it, was, it wasn't something that we had to do, but like you said, yeah, it's always, it's always difficult. I think you just have to be honest with the person and sometimes they can't see it you know, but you just have to say, you know, like, you have to trust me. I'm, you know, I think me and Jeff were around Henry, like so much that we just kind of like by osmosis almost, we kind of like kind of knew what he would want and what he was thinking. And it was just, yeah. we became um, kind of like what Jeff was saying, like Henry, particularly because of COVID spent a little more time, you know, like in his office, in in editorial office, and not quite as much on the floor, at least for a little while, we became like the point person on the floor, not just for the animators, but for other departments. They would come to us for like approval before they showed it to Henry, you know, like um, they knew if we thought it was good enough to show, then they were okay showing it. So we, uh, it wasn't just the animation team that were necessarily green. It was a lot of people's first films, you know, like all people that come from other, not just not from Leica, you know, like they weren't used to maybe the feature film. So we became the kind of like go-to people um, on the floor. So we were, we were kind of like used to kind of like talking to people about how to fix stuff, you know, and, and change it before you showed it to Henry. Um, how many, how I, many I think, oh yeah. Oh, how many, uh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say that, you know, like Malcolm said, it wasn't a lot of times we would do a cutback, but in my mind, it's an opportunity to get something right. And so often it's not that hard. It's like a lot of times the animator been like, yeah, this part didn't go right. And I'd be like, okay, let's look. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, sometimes it's a positive. There were sometimes it was really hard, but sometimes the animator is the first one to say like, I don't think this worked. And then usually you're trying to talk them out of it. Oh, it's going to be fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And then once in a while it's like, ah, you're right. We should probably let's, this is great. It's a second chance. What do, what do we, it's going to be up on the screen and people are going to watch this. Let's get it right. So it's, a lot of times it's not a bad, it's like good, we can fix it. It's really hard like going into the unit like and about you're about to look at someone's work that they've spent, you know, a day, two days, three days toiling over. And you get like, you press play and you've got to like respond instantly because they're looking at you waiting to know whether it's right or wrong. And you're not looking at it like, you know, Jeff and I being like, you know, feature animators, we would look at it we would try and like push that side of it out of our brains and look at it as a director. And you're often kind of trying to decide, okay, like did they do the exact thing that Henry asked for? Well, maybe not, but is it like within the realm of still working? Does the story point still land? You know, is the funny bit still working? Is, is the, you know, basic beats good. Is that bit of animation that kind of like could be better if we went again, or if we cut back, is it important? Maybe, maybe not, you know, like, so you, going through like a thousand questions in your mind before you kind of like say anything to the animator. And sometimes it, you know, like you have to just say, it's fine, keep going, or it's good, keep going. Um, knowing that it's good for the, you know, for the film, it'd be fine. It maybe isn't going to be the Oscar winning shot, but like it serves the purpose. And, you know, on a production where we were up against it, you know, that unfortunately you can't, you know, like keep um, finessing, forever you know like we had to kind of like get shot in the can sometimes yeah it makes a lot of sense you're making a lot of judgments along the mm -hmm. way i'm wondering how many animators were on the film itself i think like 25 25 yeah. years from you know seeing that test to completing was production 
Well, they had already made that test. Yeah, I think so they, they did that in 2018. Five, but, uh, oh. Probably close to four. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the, yeah. Quite the time to finally wrap it up. <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, after animating your whole careers and being on the shots and whatnot and, and spending, you know, most of your time moving puppets and things, how did it feel to be on the other side where you're animation supervisors and you're not moving so much and you're more or less, you know, making judgment calls on other people who are, are moving? How did that suddenly feel? Did you get FOMO of... You know, I definitely, I definitely bit, saw yeah. shots that I'm like, oh man, that looks like such a fun shot to do. Mm-hmm. That was definitely hard um, to not do that. And there's also like a certain like glory that comes with the animation, I think, where like mm-hmm. if you do a really good shot, there's nothing better than like <laughs> you finish the shot and like everyone's everyone's telling you how great it is when you're it's the ego what did i tell it ego there it is <laughs> no but i just say there's there's lows too that you don't have but when you're supervising you're just kind of um it's just a little different and you don't i i think yeah i i i love animating um and i missed it some but i also really enjoyed supervising and also you know henry we had talked to Henry about like wanting to learn about other things and learning how to direct. And I got to learn so much. Um, I felt like maybe Malcolm was hinting at this. There's a point at Leica where it's like how much I was learning, even though I also would say I have so much more to learn and could always be better as an animator. It just felt like slowing down. Like I, I, in the beginning was learning so much and it was so, engaging and um just to be in that position again where i was just learning so much about storytelling and so Mm -hmm. much about oh that's how you would work with the art department oh that's how you can direct you know it's different when you're giving so i feel very confident like talking to someone about their animation but being in the position to talk to someone about the art or like Mm -hmm. learning how to watching henry direct people and different departments I, I learned a lot and so um as much as i miss the animation and i still love animating i really just got so much out of doing the supervision job on this movie so um, yeah that makes a lot of sense amazing so what's next for you both you know you just finished up animation supervising on a super amazing cool weird wacky interesting unique film that just came out that i'm going to finish watching after this <laughs> So what's next for you guys? Well, um, you know, right after this finish, we both went over to Pinocchio and animated to help them finish. And I guess for myself, I think there's a little bit of like the, I'm just enjoying some downtime. Yeah. It was such an intense, like almost more like 15 years straight of mm. feature animating and supervising. Um yeah, I kind of just want to see the dust settled and, and finishing up a short film. Hmm. want to focus on that. So nice. it's just kind of uh, enjoying just a little, slowing down a little bit. Yeah, yeah um, kind of the same. You know, I've, I've just started doing some my own stuff, you know, in my basement. I have a little studio, so I've been really enjoying just like animating myself for, <laughs> for a little bit, um, considering trying to do some content for, you know, social media just do some freelance work for a little bit. Just, I don't know, like I, I loved uh, being the animation supervisor. I, I love being on that side of it, you know, like it was fascinating. And I kind of realized that, you know, like um, directing myself was, you know, give, making the decisions myself was like fun. Um, so, you know, I figured I'll be my own boss for a little bit and Amazing. see how that so goes. Yeah. We'll see some short films coming from you guys pretty soon, I guess. I love that you are both like, you know, I've been animating for 15 years, so I'm going to take a break by animating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, like, you know, you, animation takes everything out of you, particularly right. on a feature film. So you just don't have the energy in your yeah. spare time. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah I'm wondering, um, the, you know, or, or at least I'm always like impressed with people who can do it. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I think you just cut out for a second, but it's all good. No, now. sir. Um, I'm wondering, you know, maybe as we're wrapping up, if somebody's listening and, you know, they're fascinated by feature film animation, especially in, in Portland, where there's uh, Leica and, you know, other productions hopefully coming and whatnot. How much time do you think somebody needs to take 
to go from zero to being feature uh, ready. I know your eyes just went like, what? But it's no, it's like right now there's no clear path on how to become a stop motion feature animator. Right now it's kind of like, you know, go to animation school, uh, do some tests on your own, try to get into TV, try to latch onto different projects, you know, maybe take an internship somewhere, become a assistant. Like it's, it's all over the place, you know? So what, like mm -hmm. if you were to direct somebody right now, uh, you know, they're, I don't know, they're 30 years old, they're, they're figuring out they want to do animation and stop motion and they want to work on a feature film, what would you say to focus on and how long would it take? Realistically. I don't know how to answer that just for a generic, like it would be different for each person. Yeah. How long it takes. But one thing I would say is that you got to be doing as much animating as you possibly can. And yeah. I think that like, you know, I think like we were both saying, it took me, I mean, there wasn't a lot of opportunities, but it was like at least 10 years I was a professional animator before Coraline, maybe something oh. like 10 or eight or 10 years. Um, it, it's, uh, it can take a while and it's probably longer than people will want it to take. And you have to be, if you're not directly working in animation, you got to have a setup in your house and you got to be doing it just as much as possible because by doing that's how you'll learn and you'll do a bunch of stuff and you'll think it's great and then show it to your friends, hopefully your animation friends, and they'll give you some feedback and then you'll be like, Oh my God, how did I not see that? And you gotta, um, you gotta just be doing it and learning and being persistent. Gotcha. So if you want to pursue this seriously, like get some equipment in your, in your, in your mm -hmm. space. It doesn't you... take a lot. You need like yeah. a phone and, a computer and some wire it could be wire it doesn't you can buy an armature for like a hundred bucks which is not nothing but yeah um, i mean i would say like when we were hiring animators on wendell and wild particularly when we got down to hiring some of the assistant animators the people we were really interested in were often the ones who had worked on their own stuff in their spare time maybe been in contact with us and we'd given them some notes on a test and they'd gone away and done another test and came back and said, Hey, what do you think, think of this? You know, it showed they were eager and they were, they were um, able to take direction. Uh, it meant a lot to us. You know, we hired a couple of people purely because they were really keen, you know, and they, they really, I think often, you know, Leica has a really strong house style now, animation-wise. So does Ardman. I think you can, you know, if you know where you want to work, and you're, you know, you can you can tailor your style to where you want to work. You know, like if you want to work at Leica, they use video reference um, really heavily. You know, like so, and they have a real naturalistic style. So, you know, like shoot video reference and just try and like copy that as, as much as you can that's going to give you a good head start towards their style you know Ardman you definitely want to be working with clay um it's it's a little maybe more obvious you know like how to kind of the route to take I think if if you know where you want to work it still comes down to you being really good you know like so it's going to be on you to put in what is it like that 10,000 hours or whatever you know mm -hmm. sure. I think also the people it's the people that worked on their own short films and stuff always, I do think stand out. Because mm -hmm. it shows it's really hard to make a film. And it's, first of all, that shows something, but also it's just like if everyone, the pool has all worked on similar jobs that are trying to get up and into the features. And if you have, Oh, Hey, that TV stuff was good. Oh, Whoa. What is that? Look at this film. It's just, it's, it helps you stand out. And it's also gives you like a lot of, knowledge that helps you as an animator just about how to work with other departments totally yeah well jeff and malcolm you know we've chatted about how you got into this uh you know you've given tons of tips and advice and what it's like working at wendell and wild and where you're heading next is there anything else that we wanted you wanted to chat about that we uh haven't hit on yet i don't think so um we've we've hit every topic imagine <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah is there anything you wanted to share, you know, for people listening that might be 
you know, they do they just watch Wendell and Wild and, you know, it might be interesting to tell them a fun fact or something or, you know, followed your careers and just something fun well, that you've come across along the years. I don't know. I, I definitely hope everyone checks out Wendell and Wild because I've never been on a project where people put so much into the film. Wow. Like from start with so many obstacles in the way and it was a just an incredible experience and you know I hope people get to see it and enjoy it and, and enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. Amazing. Yeah. Malcolm, do you have any any final thoughts? No, I I, I just the same really. I think it was like, you know, it, the passion that people had on that film was um I hadn't experienced it before and it definitely I think shows in the final product. It's it's like a unique looking film and I and I hope that you know people get a kick out of it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jeff and, and um, Malcolm, for joining me on the podcast. It's been <laughs> it's been a pleasure to pick your brains and hear all about your careers. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, it's been super cool to see all the behind the scenes that you've been posting as well. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Yeah, great for having you. us. Yeah. yeah and if you're listening and you want to reach out to Jeff or Malcolm or follow their work, you can do so by checking out their Instagrams. And I'll include both the links to those in the description of this chat. That's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.